Fuck pain, fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again as Iraqi-born human rights activist Fasil Asaid Al-Mutar, founder of the Global Secular Humanist Movement, joins us for a wide-ranging interview, including the desperate need to create a culture of curiosity, and that there are some subjects that everyone needs to make some efforts to be informed about. And a reminder, the movie you tell people they can't see is the movie that people are going to want to see. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli as we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast, begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 95. 95. The number is outstanding, I think. We're getting there. Of the Drunken Dows Podcast. And as always, my pal, Daniele Bellelli, not across the table this time. He's cozied up next to me, ladies and gentlemen. We are recording in the fishbowl that is my house, so apologies for the audio quality. I think you're going to like the echo. It makes it sound like a morning zoo show. Yeah, we are... 72 and sunny here in Eagle Rock. Directly speaking from space. <laughs> let's get started with... Well, let's do a quick thank you yeah. to the lovely folks that keep us in business. So, Datsu Sara, Diaz Gear for the greatest hemp gear on the planet. Onnit.com for who the fuck knows what, because they make everything and the opposite. It's all under one cover. But there's all kinds of superfoods now. You can get one for your belly. You can get one for your energy. You can get one because it's Friday and you know you're going to eat pizza. It's awesome. I dig it. Uh, Superfoods, supplements, workout gear, all sort of great stuff. Yep. And, of course, the sweet folks, Assure Design, which has... I don't remember if this was your line or not. I was finding it the other day. I was like... Her design are made to be worn by people living epic lives, or to be told and retold by future generations. Maybe mine, maybe yours, I'm not sure. I but wish I, I said it. it. Yeah, <laughs> but I was like, I dig it. That's good stuff. So thank you to these folks. Now, shall we just get down to business and... Yeah, here's, here's the interview. podcast thank you for having me let's go play so i usually i tend to like you know sometimes when you go on shows or sometimes you have whoever is the host to summarize who you are and then you're like i'm not really that person what the hell are you talking about yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah that's kind of true so rather than me giving my i'd rather have it in your own words like for people who before we get in some of the issues for people who are not yet familiar with your work uh, with who you are, if you want to give just a little bit of uh, 
some info to make you more familiar to the audience? Yeah. Um, well, my name is Faisal. I'm uh, originally from Iraq. Uh, I grew up and raised there. Uh, lived with you during the two phases of Saddam and the uh, uh, U.S. Um, invasion or liberation, no matter how you look at it. Um, and then the, the Civil War. Um, I started becoming uh, active for uh, secularism and liberal values uh, since the beginning of the first Iraqi elections. And I've been active since then trying to um, create a third party between military dictatorship and um, Islamist uh, forces mm -hmm. uh, that try to um, enhance the well-being of people uh, in the Middle East and around the world. And I also tech-oriented, uh, so most of my um, activism uh, and work is mostly using the modern 21st century technology to um, use it for the betterment of humanity. Can't ask for much better. What are you doing in the U.S.? Well, uh, I, I came here as a refugee uh, in 2013. So as a result of losing my brother and uh, cousin and some other um, some of my friends and also receiving death threats and so on. So I applied, uh, so I left Iraq in 2009, went to Lebanon and then Malaysia. And then I applied and I came here in 2013. And now I'm working um, in an organization called Movements.org in trying to use technology to create a, solutions to close societies and uh, most particularly the Middle East. And that's the focus of my career. So specifically the guys were not the biggest members of your fan club was Al Qaeda. Um, yeah, um, now I mean, I mean, now they're the moderates these days. Um, <laughs> right, that's the scary part. Yeah, when uh, Al Qaeda become the moderates, that's when you know you can start warring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I because uh, uh, me and my my friends sometimes joke about this. It's like the, the, we call it the good old days in right. which Al Qaeda was the. Uh, but even that being said, I mean, Al Qaeda in Iraq, especially the section of Iraq which is called the AQI is big, build the ideological foundation for what we now call ISIS. So the Al-Qaeda in Iraq, even though I don't, I don't like to use the term moderate and extreme, but yeah, the Al-Qaeda version of Iraq is the most extreme of all Al-Qaeda versions around there. Right. Um, but I'm at the same time acknowledging that I'm just being ironic by using the term moderate. Um, of course. That being, yeah, so Abu Musab al-Zarqawi was the head of Al-Qaeda in Iraq. They called the AQI. Um, he built up the foundation. So he was the most savage of all the savages mm -hmm. um, who built up the foundation of what we now call ISIS because he actually started what is called the Islamic State. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's the founding father of the Islamic State. And then now uh, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi took the lead from him. Yeah. Right. So that brings you out here. And the yeah, I, I, so I forgot to add, I'm also like I have my... Um, uh, uh, fans within the Shia militias. Within, oh yeah, so yeah. So um, within used to be called Jaish al-Mahdi back in back in uh, when I was in Iraq, and now it's part of many other militias. I, I always joke about the fact that I am being a uniter Iraqi and uniting the Sunni and the Shia militias together all, and hating me. They uh, all hate you equally. That's always. yeah. That's why I'm planning to run for prime minister in the future because I think I'm the most qualified person in uniting the Iraqis than any other uh, <laughs> sectarian party that existed there. It's nice to see that death threats and uh, random didn't dampen your sense of humor. That always helps. 
Yeah, well, it's it's, it's necessary to yeah, deal absolutely. with all this uh, craziness. Yeah, when you especially when you deal with real tragedy, a real heaviness, sense of humor is your best weapon to keep things rolling. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, one of the things that I notice in your writing, and then we were chatting about it a little bit before we started recording, this dichotomy. I mean, we'll apply it specifically when it comes to the Middle East, since that's what we're talking about right now, but really probably is even bigger than that. The fact that on most debates you have extreme positions with very little in between. Like when it applies to the Middle East, not just in US, in many parts of Europe, in a lot of places, you have these... You either have the hardcore fascist, you know, let's bomb the Middle East into a parking lot, wipe them all out, close the borders, that kind of thing. Or you have the opposite, the regressive last apologist, uh, no poor Al-Qaeda, they just, they are not bad, they are just reacting against yeah. Western imperialism. Yeah, misunderstood. And exactly, they yeah. are, you know, it's... And of course, both positions are horrible, because in one case you are making apologies for monsters, in another case you are a fascist, neither one is particularly desirable and yet yeah. they seem to feed off each other because the stupidity of one side then creates support for the other or vice versa what's the um, I, I notice how you are clearly in neither camp and you hammer heavily in both directions again and being very equal opportunity yeah. hammer equally on fascist as well as on uh, regressive left apologists what's What's a more refined approach to all of this? What is the value about these guys? What is that you advocate instead? Yeah, well, I mean, I advocate for looking at these um, issues in the in an honest way. I mean, I, I um, and, and doesn't mean that I can be right all the time. But what, I, what I'm advocating for is kind of approaching things in a kind of scientific method approach of looking at the evidence first and then making the opinion based upon the evidence not vice versa what a weird concept yeah it's, it's actually very like and, and it's, it's weird because this it seems to me that this is kind of an extreme concept while in my opinion it shouldn't be exactly so on this subject of uh, like between the uh, right wing fascism and left wing apologism um, so they mostly which I think is more dangerous than just false is Speaking in half truths, mm -hmm. so yeah. so they they make up. Um, so, for example, within the left wing uh, apologist circles, they will say that the majority of ISIS, the majority of Muslims are not ISIS. Mm -hmm. That's the true statement. Sure. Therefore, Islam is a peace loving religion, <laughs> and anybody who is uh, a member of of these groups is not representative of of that religion or any way of sect within that religion and so on. And then you look at the, the, the other side, they will also look at the half a truth, which is the fact that extremism and, 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 and is, is not just a fringe minority, but rather it's more white common. And then they say, look at that, and this is what all the Muslims believe in. And this is, uh, and it seems to me that that is, like when it comes to this subject of, Islam, it seems that there is a different approach being applied to any other subjects. So, for example, people can con conceive of the idea that you can disagree with the Republican platform 
without hating all Republicans. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can say that most people on the liberal side will disagree with you. They say like, well, we have some friends who are Republicans just because we disagree with them on an ideological basis and so on. Does it mean they're not good people and so on? But if you can say the same thing about Islam, the whole subject talks up, starts becoming about white supremacy and colonialism and and how dare you saying that and um, what is your authority to talk about Islam? You don't have a postdoctoral mm-hmm. uh, graduate degree from Harvard University uh, in in talking about Islam. But I mean, you can talk about any other subject, and nobody's going to ask you yeah. whether you have uh, three PhDs in, in Republican education to be actually able to criticize the Republican Party. So this uh, this kind of double standards. I mean, the most people who are harmed by it are Muslims themselves sure. because if the discussion is not to be had in what we call free societies, the countries in which that have freedom of expression and so on, if we cannot have it in America, in in, 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 uh, in France, in UK and so on, where are we going to have it? We're going to have it in Egypt in which the government dictatorship just gels and kills anybody they think uh, have an alternative point of view. So by disabling or, or this kind of conversation, even here in the West, the people who are most going to be harmed by it are the people who are being harmed constantly by the status quo of what is accepted as Islam right now and what is the mainstream uh, belief within the Muslim community. So how to deal with all of that um, uh, fiasco is is to be able to um, acknowledge that there are specifics within some sects of Islam that have some problem with that and, and dealing and separating between Islam as a set of ideas and or an ideology and Muslims as people sure. and, and, and Muslims as any other human is complicated and may it be, belong to the uh, ideological spectrum to different degrees of course. Um, and while the ideology can be talked about as any other ideology the same way we talk about socialism and capitalism and Christianity and yeah. and uh, so if we are able to do that separation I think the conversation can become much more productive and it's going to become much less personal mm-hmm. of like oh if you disagree with this verse of the Quran or the Hadith that means you advocate for uh, persecution of Muslims or right. or vice versa you, you look at a beautiful hadith and you say oh look all Muslims are peaceful and any criticism right. of Islam is just coming of pure bigotry and as the same acknowledging that yes there are some there are some people who who are xenophobes who probably want to scapegoat Muslims and, and, and so on but at the same time doesn't mean everything they say is completely false or right. you cannot like or ignore everything they have to say so that, I think intellectual honesty and looking at Things on evidence-based uh, evidence-based way, I think is the best way to do it. And I think you make a good point: the fact that rarely take even some of the worst positions ever; they are rarely one hundred percent wrong. It's kind of like I'm sure Hitler brushed his teeth and pet the dog. You know, he did a couple of things. Yeah, it's kind of like take even exactly a very fascist approach you will still have something where there may be a seed of truth to it there may and vice versa and that's the problem that people get stuck on yeah the little aspect that's true and then run with it forgetting all about the other side of the equation 
Yeah, and 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 also, um, I mean, ideology. There's an article I brought about called "Ideology and the Grievance," and it is. It also can be true that the grievance is right and based on right concept, mm-hmm. but the reaction to that grievance exactly. is based upon an ideological. So exactly. somebody can acknowledge, and I that for example. There are mistakes in U.S. foreign policy, sure. the settlements that Israel is building in the West Bank, the persecution of Palestinians. Uh, sorry, yeah, the, uh, the persecution of Palestinians and so on. These can all be true grievances Absolutely. without, but at the same time, throwing gays from rooftops and uh, per, uh, treating women like second-class citizens and and so on is the worst reaction. Or sending suicide bombers to right. to to supermarkets and killing civilians uh, is not. The, and that is defined by an ideology to that grievance. So this, and I don't know why this doesn't seem to be a very hard uh, concept to, to conceive. I mean, it is not it is not hard to me to be able to right. acknowledge that somebody can have a legitimate grievance and at the same time the reaction to that grievance is wrong. Exactly. Um, and so, so, for example, the right, like the, or the far right or the alt-right in that regard. So, for example, the concept of Many Americans don't feel safe anymore. Mm-hmm. Like they, they see attacks in Paris, sure. in which like supermarket was attacked, Orlando, which was I think a, a gay club. Mm-hmm. They see like it's a normal places yeah. that most people go to. They see this, and they're like, we don't feel safe anymore. Yeah, this is a legitimate grievance. It's like to, to be able because you've always been used that you can hang out at two in the morning and and not being afraid of somebody's gonna. Um, uh, throw a bomb at you or, or, or start killing in random and seeing that constantly considering that now we live in a very hyper connected uh, in which when something happens in Brussels you can see it in Twitter in yeah. the next two seconds living in that world in which you hear about this news you look at the front page of the New York Times this thing is bombed this person is killed that creates lots of fear and that fear has some legitimacy into it it's like the fear that you don't feel it's that much safe um, from terrorism yep. and also not feel safe from all the other things that already exist in mass shootings and all these kinds of stuff, that it creates some sort of uh, extreme fear. And, and saying that, no, all what you're talking about is just nothing and you're just a xenophobe and a bigot, yeah. is not the solution. Absolutely. But you can acknowledge their grievances, but you tell them that the solution to that grievance is much more complicated than you think it is. It's not, it's not banning all Muslims. It's not killing all Muslims. Um, it's seeing what could be the solutions within the Muslim community, who are the people who are fighting this yeah. form of extremism within the Muslim community or outside the Muslim community who are not approaching it from a xenophobic perspective and try not to alienate Muslims from being engaged in being members of society. These these are complicated answers, but they are, in my opinion, the best reaction to a legitimate grievance. Absolutely, because that's the problem is... Most people don't wake up in the morning thinking, I want to be the bad guy, I want to be a hardcore fascist, I want to be yeah. or whatever. Usually, everybody comes from a point of view where they do have some legitimate grievance at one level or another. The problem, as you say, is that they take that to then justify some horrible reactions. And when you call them on it, they go back to their grievance, which is legitimate, but that's not the way to solve it. Yeah, And the fact that both sides do it, then both feel entitled to, hey, but I'm right, no, I'm right, and to some degree they both are, and then to some degree they both are wrong, because yeah. they take their grievances in a really nasty direction, either way. 
Yeah, and make 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 false equivalences. I mean, one of the uh, things that really like pisses me off when somebody says, "Well, we don't need to worry about uh, like Islamist inspired terrorism because there's a possibility that you might die with a car accident, and therefore, and it's as likely you can die by a car accident." And ignoring, for example, that like terrorism, or in that case, ideological inspired terrorism has intention behind it. Yep. Is that there's a difference between somebody committing a car accident just because they were, yeah, they they they, uh, they didn't know how to drive well or, or they were intoxicated in some, but their intention was not to make that accident. Was intention was not to kill that person. But it's it's extremely different than somebody yelling Allahu Akbar and going to a club and killing right. 50 people with the intention of killing these people. So so you have this like false dichotomies and false equivalences being made uh, to the now, like, everyone is Hitler. Anybody right. you disagree with yeah, is Hitler. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and that's, that's, I mean, what, as I said, like, people are being harmed while this conversation is not being had in an honest way. And until we will get to that level in which we um, look at these things from a critical thinking mind, we're able to approach these things as objectively as possible. I think that the 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 most people gonna be benefiting from this are the fascists yeah. and the terrorists who are also fascists. I mean the Islamo fascists yeah. and the and the right wing fascists are the most beneficiaries of all of this polarization. And in some way, yeah, they operate this with the same mentality. There is that same mindset of I'm right, everybody else is wrong and need to be squashed and it's equally dogmatic. And then yeah. it it often is that way. You know, some of the enemy like you look at World War Two, Nazis and Soviet communists, they hated each other's guts and they were both totalitarian regimes that if you live in either one you're getting your freedom squashed to the tenth degree. Yeah. And yeah, and it's the same we can see now with like Al Qaeda versus ISIS. Exactly. It's like, like that's the choice you got. Yeah, it's, it's like, like great. Yeah, so like we have to I mean I I've never been a fan of this concept of the enemy of my enemy is your friend. I've right. always of course. because sometimes the enemy of your enemy is your enemy too. Exactly. And and, and I, I think, I mean, now in, in the 21st century, and we are talking about superpowers, and that includes the country we're living in right now in the United States, I don't think the United States needs to take this position of siding with lesser fascists against fascists. Right. I think that the United States right now is too powerful that it's and also the enemy we are facing, no matter how strong we think it is, it is much less powerful than the Soviet Union was or much less powerful than even the Nazis. I mean, the Nazis were also extremely developed in terms sure. of military equipment and also have the ideological um, power behind them. So I, I think that if we're able just to approach this subject rationally, I think we can really deal with it in a much less amount of time. And we don't need to do, like America would not need to do all these negotiations that it had to do when they were fighting the Soviet Union. What do you think of, because um, one of the, in the two extreme positions, one of them, the Noam Chomsky, Howard Zinn kind of position yeah. is everything that's terrible about um, kind of Islamic extremists is really just a backlash against uh, Western imperialism. And it's just the product, essentially, is... Yeah, you know, we're not making apologies for 9-11, but at the same, or, you know, any kind of form of terrorism, but at the same time, really the bad guys, the U.S. government that has done all these bad things with the Middle East. 
uh, clearly that's not where you're coming from on this. Yeah. But what's your uh, What's your take on this? And also, beside their specific position, also what's your take in terms of if we want to go to the legitimate grievance of this is the fact that now seeing it long term it does seem like some of the American interventions in the Middle East since the second Iraq war and from that point forward to be generous they haven't exactly been successful and in some cases you can say that they have ended up creating some problems Uh, but then of course just because that may be partially true that does not mean that everything that's bad is because US government policy so I'm curious what your take is on all this yeah, I, I mean, um, the creation, I, I mean, it really dep- depends on what somebody defines as the creation of of U.S. intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, I mean, the, that goes back to, 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 the, to the concept that X causes Y and X is the only cause of Y. Yeah. And, and in fact, things are much more multi-layered. Um, and, and sometimes, I mean, but what's really sad is that this argument of that eventually the bad guys end up the West um, is is now going much beyond just interventions. And so now, like, for example, the Charlie Hebdo mm-hmm. attack in France. And uh, I don't know about Dan Chomsky, but there are so many other left wing commentators in which they literally said that Charlie Hebdo brought it to herself. Wow. Um, so and and and. And it's weirdly also within the, the Arab-speaking media, and, and I don't want to generalize, but it's also within the apologists of, of terrorism. Because uh, there's always this, I don't support ISIS, but. And whatever <laughs> whatever comes up after the but is generally the worst statement somebody can ever hear. Of course. Uh, uh, and so they, they weirdly think that Charlie Hebdo is like, controlled by the Western governments. Yeah. They have this concept because most of them live under dictatorial regimes yeah. that they think that Charlie Hebdo like is a result of like meeting of of Sarkozy with like uh, George W. Bush and they were like planning a conspiracy of how they can attack Islam and Charlie Hebdo is just a reflection of that conspiracy of people met at Fifth Avenue. And that's not how the world works. Not exactly. Uh, right. Yeah, so so that's I mean I mean uh, the I mean the U.S. intervention I mean in, 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 in so many other places and also the U.S. siding with bad actors across the region from sure. Saudi regime into I mean even with with Iraq uh, United States sided with Saddam in the Iraq Iran war and they uh, because also because of the Cold War era in which they supported many anti quote unquote anti communist yeah. forces and they sided with countries like. Pakistan and creating the Taliban that helped creating the Taliban and, 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 and so on. So yes, I mean, somebody definitely can make the argument that the United States have not made it better. Yeah. Uh, and, and the policies the United States have implemented since the, 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 the obviously after World War II in which America became more powerful than it was, uh, is that some of these policies were not bad, but the question were not good. But the question is how much responsibility the other people that were um, dealing with the same situation would have approached it. So, I mean, the, the, the fact that the Iraqis, for example, and I was living there, I voted uh, all, all the Iraqi elections that existed. I mean, 2005, I was young to vote, yeah. but, but afterwards, I mean, the Iraqis 
in mass voted for sectarian parties. Mm-hmm. In a in a democratic society, the Egyptians voted for the Brotherhood. Uh, and so in Iraq, they voted for Al Maliki, who mm-hmm. who uh, who was sectarian, who, was, who comes from a sectarian Shia party that started discriminating against the Sunnis, and that led Sunnis be- turning more into the extreme. Um, Al Maliki also shares some responsibility for the creation of ISIS, of course. Uh, and also the fact that the United States—I mean, one of the biggest opposition I have of the United States war or the implementation of the war in that regard—is the fact that the elections was in in a, in, a, in a post-dictatorial society was a very bad idea. Mm-hmm. I was advocating for a transition period right. because you have Saddam Hussein who ruled over the country for decades, uh, in which a country filled with illiteracy. And then you just let them, and you just let a country with the majority of illiterate people vote for the destiny of a nation that is so fragile in the Middle East. Yeah. And so the United States at the beginning had a secular, we had a secular regime, uh, which was led by Ayad Alawi, and he was equal opportunity uh, anti-jihadist. Yeah. So he bombed the Shia militias, in that way the Sunnis felt safe, right. that the Shias are not targeting them, and he bombed the Sunni militias, in that way the Shias felt safe. But... He didn't last long, yeah. and the Iraqi elections happened, and, and, and sectarian parties happened, and also the U.S. pulling off from the Iraq in just uh, a few months uh, in a fragile country. So, yes, there are so many factors. Um, the fact that Saudi Arabia uh, funds all the madrasas around Pakistan, Bangladesh. I mean, right. for example, Bangladesh, one of the recent cases that I've worked on, that many secular bloggers are being killed by yeah. machetes and... Uh, America did not invade Bangladesh, um, but at the same time, the influence of Saudi madrasas um, that has... So these are things that are very Mm multi-layered, and what's happening is that you either give only white people agency, and the rest of the brown people is just that all what they do is just a reaction. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're just freedom fighters, and, and or... You see that people who are like, for example, the neoconservative movement and so on, in which they put all the agency on the brown people and they look at the whites or the, the, the Western foreign policy has always been uh, for the best of the world. So these things are, they don't need to contradict each other, in my opinion. Yeah. Somebody can say Bush made so many mistakes and Maliki made so many mistakes mm-hmm. and Iran made so many mistakes and Qatar made so many mistakes. These, and especially now we live in a globalized world in which... It's not only one action that leads to... There are actions of so many different countries yeah. uh, that leads to that reaction. I mean, it's easier... So now, like, as we speak in 2016, it's easier to start a terrorist group in the Middle East than to start a liberal group in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason for that, you have countries like Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Qatar, in which the moment you start something like there, which is like sectarian, you will get tons of funding from these countries. Yeah. These, are all, these are also regional... Uh, reasons why groups like ISIS, Assad bombing of the Sunnis and battle bombs and, and his dictator, these are also factions of why ISIS existed. But people just want like Snapchat, 10-second yeah. uh, answers in which it gives you the reasons why a complicated group and very sophisticated in t- use of technology and use of weaponry like ISIS is just like came out like, um, it's just like saying like, Adam and Eve story of like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we all came from two people and all the rest of humanity uh, came in from just like a woman eating uh, 
an apple from the tree of knowledge. And right. that's how everything... But if you go approach the real thing of how humans and came to existence, you will see it's much more complicated, happens over billions of years. Sure. And um, so, I mean, I, I don't know if there is like short answers to the complications. I mean, I... Yeah, I think that's um, the problem, that people crave uh, simplicity. And simplicity is a good thing until it becomes over-simplicity, where you take something, you don't just reduce it to the basic elements that make it work quickly, you oversimplify when yeah. you just turn reality into something else and you act as if your imagination is the actual real thing on the ground when it's not at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I also don't think, I think it's also multi, the reasons for that. I think the social media world mm-hmm. probably played a role in, yeah. in this concept in which now people feel that they can make an opinion by just seeing a meme on the internet. Yeah. And the concept that people are also, I mean, even within political elections, sure. like in the United States, you see both candidates, uh, in that case was Bernie and, 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 and Donald Trump, they were communicating most of their messaging on the internet and social media and Twitter in which uh, you are poor, it's the 1%. You are poor, it's the immigrants. It's like, your your grievance this is the solution it's all like yeah. two sentences in dealing with one of the biggest economies in the world and one of the most uh, uh sophisticated countries in the world is just like talking in uh in memes and like this yeah. is the problem this is a solution and 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 people are making people are making decisions based upon the memes that that the politicians are giving them and sure. and that's i mean that's really worrisome yeah, because that's like a level of forward simplification that's painful because it's, uh, yeah, it becomes uh, stereotypical to say the least. And ultimately it's the product of just intellectual laziness where people just don't, are not, it's almost like you haven't built the muscle, you know, like you need to work out to lift certain weights. You need to have developed that intellectual muscle to some degree to degree, to deal with some layer of complexity, which is inevitable in any kind of discussion. Yeah. It's not just, uh, you know, you should brush your teeth because it's good for you. Yeah. Anything more complicated than that is usually requires you some nuance. And yet what you were saying earlier about that should be the most normal thing in the world. And yet is exceptional and seen as a weird thing. Like the fact that being able to think in more nuanced terms is, uh, is, it's kind of like if he was an animal, he was maybe an endangered species. <laughs> you know, it's something that's so rare. Yeah, and, and but, but the, the thing is, like, when the issues when it comes to subjects like politics mm-hmm. is that it is something that everybody needs to be informed about. Sure. Because we live in a democracy, and everybody, at least I hope everybody, wants to perceive that, preserve that democracy. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to live in fascism, at least in the Western world even though sometimes they cling to fascism for (laughs) solutions, um, is that if people don't know about, like, at least the basics of how things work, Mm -hmm. um, then they're going to vote, and and they're going to make bad decisions, Mm -hmm. and we're going to get bad politicians as a result of people not actually asking more questions of what they actually want. Um, and, and, and also like knowing things like basic science in terms yeah. of climate change. And, and sure. uh, so that's why, like, I mean, it's not like I'm asking people to get PhDs in astrophysics. Sure. Of course. Um, and, and also like, but there are some, some subjects that everybody needs to make an effort at least to be informed because if you're going to have non-informed democracy versus informed democracy, you eventually, the, it's going to be perpetual 
continuous bad decisions one after the other, and we are, we are seeing it in, in so yeah. many in so many levels, and 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 we are seeing it. I mean, worst case scenario is what's happening right now after the Arab Spring mm-hmm. in 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 the Arab world, in which people, as a result of I mean, also, also, I mean, people can't be victims and oppressors at the same time. Yeah, uh, and they are also being victims of oppression themselves. And then they make, they vote for oppressors to oppress the people that, quote unquote, oppress them. Of course. And, and that continuous uh, uh, bad decisions lead to continuous bad decisions. And then that's why you don't see, that's why many people seem to have lost hope that actually things might change. Um, yeah, because when you look at the political landscape... And this is not even just an American thing. I mean, I'm mainly familiar with European politics and U.S. I'm not as familiar with other places, but I tend to see it everywhere I look. It's usually you have really bad choices and somewhat bad choices. Yeah. Rarely anything beyond that, which is a very disempowering feeling because the sense that a lot of people get is, what's the point? And I mean, and that's the cynicism clearly is not a very good solution because no. that's completely giving up on the fact that not everything is the same. There are different results. There are different Yeah, of course. But when people are faced with choices that seem pretty bleak everywhere they turn, and it's just a matter of the degree of bleakness, there's a sense that the whole game is, how do, we, how do you come out on top in a game where all outcomes seems pretty poor? And granted, you know, some of it may be a little lazy in terms of, well, you're making a little shade of grain into pitch black and they are not the same thing. But that seems to be, I mean, most people I talk with, there's nobody who's excited, not about this election, not about most elections, really. Nobody has a sense that, oh, if this happens, then good things can actually happen. It's more like if this happens, it's going to be horrible. And if this happens, it's a little less horrible, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, the 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 way I look at, I mean, at least within Western democracies, and I, and I hope I'm right in that, is that politics work on supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, do I think that America and America's people have much better politicians than, than what we have right now in terms of the candidates we have? Um, but also, I think that what people think of uh, generally, the bad and good choices. There is a lot of influence of how charming the politician is. Sure. So, so, so um, even though they may have, they may say the same things or follow the same platform. Sure. Um, I think pe- the majority of people probably would not think that the the election would be the the way it is or how, how people are thinking of it was. For example, Bernie mm-hmm. versus even Trump. Uh, because most of their fan base are so excited, so energetic. Uh, they think that their guys have the have the best solutions, and and this is the right moment for them. Um, even and also the same was for Obama. I mean, Obama sure. was also because he was he's a very good speaker, yeah. uh, very charming. People think he's authentic. He doesn't have as much baggage as Hillary does sure. in terms of. Uh, I mean, he was a senator of Illinois and relatively new, relatively new face. uh, But Hillary, people have been knowing her for ages and she she's not. And and obviously she's been in positions of power Mm -hmm. in which a simple bad decision is a very bad decision (laughs) uh, to the way that it can actually reflect on her authenticity and her 
but if you bring, sorry to use the term, maybe a virgin, virgin politically, in which somebody who, like both Bernie and President Obama, mm-hmm. um, uh, who pretty much, I mean, were in positions that were not handling secrets of the country. The, uh, I mean, for President Obama, he was a senator of Illinois, and for Bernie yeah. Sanders, he was the government of a state. Most Americans don't know where to locate on the map. Um <laughs> And nobody really knew of him, like, for the mm-hmm. past 30 years. Maybe they knew of him as a progressive figure, sure. like Elizabeth Warren and so on. But none of him, like, followed him that closely because sure. he was not that. So when he came into the stage uh, and because he has, like, these simple energetic solutions, people think of him as a good choice. Uh, so so I think that this, uh, back to the cynicism subject and, 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 and evil and, and, and lesser evil, um is that also when you live in countries in which you have a country like America, which is 300 million people, and you have all the same cases with Europe, uh, in which countries like Germany and, and so on, it's really hard to find somebody who can encompass all the, the, the... But I think if we create a culture in which we demand better... Uh, I mean, if the majority of Americans believe or accept climate change... Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of having a successful politician like Trump or many people in the Republican Party can actually openly say that climate change is just a Chinese hoax and still be accepted as a, as a, as a politician. Sure. It means to me that there is something wrong with the culture that allows that to happen. Right. So uh, unless we are able to change what the majority of people agree upon. So, I mean, the majority of people, I think, in America, and hopefully they do, they agree that slavery is wrong. At least. I, I, right. uh, so so now you cannot be a politician and openly run as a pro-slavery yeah. candidate. Yeah. You're going to be you're going to be ruined. Like sure. people would laugh at you and yeah. like think of you as, as, as a very true. So 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 if we're able to change the culture, same with like same sex marriage and like mm-hmm. now it became more accepted than it was before. So now we demand that politicians accept that as, as the fact that it, yeah. it's been legalized by the federal government and. It is what it is, and you have to accept it. They're not going to, even though there's now some reaction movement. But so I think that it all goes back to the citizens. I think that this concept that we demand this ideal politicians who somehow reflect who we are, uh, unless we actually engage as citizens in, in democracy and try to be educated and educate others of how things uh, should be, I think we're always going to be in this cycle of, of, of bad and, and, and probably, I mean, bad and worse decisions in some countries and very, very bad and very, very, very bad in some other countries like in the Middle East right. in which you are faced between CC dictatorship and Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In which it's not like, I, mean, I, I was joking about this, I, was talking, I, was, I made up a post, I said, for my American friends who are cynical about the American elections, yeah. Uh, just think about the Egyptian elections. They have CC and the Muslim Brotherhood. I think Americanism is in a much better shape right, right. now. No, um, exactly. It's all relative, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, I, I think that, um, that, I mean, if 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 people in the West become cynical about democracy, then what is hope there left for sure. other parts of the world, uh, or even like if they become hopeless about politics? I mean, leave aside democracy, then then. What is the hope for other parts of the world in which it's it, with c- countries like Russia in which they have Putin and and, right. and China and and, and and North Korea and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and Central Asia and of so course. on? So I think I think we need to keep the spirit up at least for those of us who live to, who live uh, in open societies.
No, and I think I guess the problem in that sense, which again, it would be nice to find this easy solution, but as you rightly point out, not exactly easy. What you're saying is there has to be a change at the, at the mass level among people, really about what we're talking about. I'm trying to find the, the most polite way of putting it, but basically for the average intelligence to go up. Because yeah. what you have is the fact that politicians far from being oh why do we get these bad politicians when we are nice people when you look around the reality is that most politicians are a reflection of what's out there and who would put them in place because you know sadly the it's not exactly like and this that i'm not just saying us i'm saying in every country if you look at the average level of intelligence of the average person just about anywhere in the world one could seriously hope for it to go up quickly because it just looks a little scary sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also, like, in terms of, of common knowledge, I mean, yeah. I mean, in Los Angeles, uh, I was, uh, it was a very crazy story, and I was at, at, the, at the, the house party, and then one of the women said, what is Islam? Is it a country? No, you're kidding. I'm, I'm, not, I'm serious. Serious? Yeah, yeah. She actually, like, her level of knowledge is so little this was an adult yeah this was, was an adult so I, I think wow. it goes to UCLA or something no yeah yeah and, and she actually like her level of knowledge is so little to the way that she actually thought like Islam wow. was a country like uh, or she was asking whether Islam is a country Jesus. Uh, so like that's life in a uh, and I was like kind of surprised because like yeah, somebody yeah. must be living in a big bubble yeah how do you uh, even reply I yeah yeah just... actually my reply was like how do you function like how do you yeah. function in society is that how can you i mean it's the second best wow. religion in the world like with 1.5 billion i mean I've, if she doesn't know what jainism is maybe i would give sure. her a, okay. give her a, a um, give her a pass but uh or is he what is he who sure. the is are but like islam <laughs> uh, that that's like a a, a big uh a big amount of people. So I had a guy I mentioned it before. I I, I could not say anything back because uh, some guy was like, "Oh, you're from Italy. That's awesome. I was just in Paris two weeks ago, and uh, <laughs> that's a beautiful country." And I'm like, "Wait, you were in Paris and you thought that was Italy? What the hell?" Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. So, so like, if you have people who like, I mean, obviously this could be extreme examples, but but if if you have people who are very, especially like. In an age in which information are very easily accessible, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I'm um, like, I'm not, I don't want to say back in my day because I'm not, uh, but the fact that you can, it, it was much harder before yeah, totally. to look for information than yep. it is right now, and everything is at the piece of cake. Uh, yeah, it's like you can get it access immediately from your phone, yep. and um, but it's really interesting, even with that. You don't see that much change in even with the excess of enormous knowledge on the yeah. internet of courses sorry, with courses and and uh, even Wikipedia like mm-hmm. I'm not to say it's the best source sure but it's uh, yes yeah, it is something that actually gives you basics of yeah. how things are and uh, with some like references that you can read and so on like even with that it doesn't seem to be a reflection a lot on like the societies we're in. Uh, yeah, that's scary. Yeah, so, so it seems like there is no correlation between the availability of knowledge and the... Uh, so it seems like there is another culture that needs to be developed over that 
the availability of knowledge is the culture of curiosity and yeah. knowing um and 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 just being inquisitive and knowing what the what the truth is or knowing what the basics of the truth I, I, nobody i nobody can be very knowledgeable of everything and, yeah. and and also like back to my subject of the middle east i mean i don't even know even within the middle east there are some things i some, most of the things I don't know, and and like I don't know what is the relation between Mongolia and China. I don't know what is sure. the economic relations. Of, like there are some things that I mean, the Middle East is more than enough for me to actually absorb. Yeah. Uh, so I don't ask people to like know about everything, no, no, and, and, and but at least I know that Islam is a religion, yeah. and I and I know that that's a good start. That's a good start. Uh, I know like the basics of uh, of of countries, the relationships of these countries, what the majorities of these people these countries believe in. And how is that a reflection of the globalized world we live in? Mm-hmm. Uh, like this basic sense of the way when, when I'm trying to make a decision of voting for the candidate, I can fact check the candidates yeah. uh, like, in, in which he doesn't make things up. Because yeah. now, like somebody, even with the whole, as I said, availability of knowledge in which somebody can fact check very quickly, you can have a politician who just makes things up that actually never existed. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. And, and that is like, Normals like it's so okay that you can like make up something, and in the position of in which you have like the nuclear code of the United States, and you can get into the power, even though nobody right. actually fact checked you. Yeah, with the level the, of ignorance that just downright painful. Yeah, so so I think that this needs like I, I think that as as uh, somebody who works in in, in, in the human rights, international uh, politics, as well as being very active in social media because I think it's uh, I try my best to uh, not only talk about the specifics of these subjects but also create the culture yeah. uh, I mean I try to insert the humor I try to uh, just to make people interested in these subjects uh, just the way like same way for example Neil deGrasse Tyson or mm-hmm. Bill Nye they try to make science look fun and enjoyable yeah. and talking to people about Mars and, and talking to people about movies. And, and I think that uh, for those of us who, who care about these things, we need to be able to like make it part of pop culture, to be make it cool to be inquisitive, make it cool to be knowledgeable. Uh, and it, it's a good thing. It, 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 it helps you as a person Absolutely. to make good choices about your life. And it also it helps the society... That you live in, just like vaccinations. It's like a vaccination of ignorance. Vaccination from ignorance yeah. if you become... Or manipulation. Is that the more knowledgeable you are, the less manipulated you will become. Absolutely. Um, so that's that's what I'm trying to achieve as well. No, and it's important because you're right. Because academia is not really doing that. You know, the academic culture is often so dry and boring that people just don't want to... It's not really the place of learning as it's supposed to be. And so instead, what you get is the fact that people who are successful at it are pulling off something that combine an entertainment element to it with knowledge. Because if you're just saying, take this knowledge because it's good for you, but it's deadly boring, nobody wants to do it. It's kind of like if knowledge is something that just happens as you're having fun, that's a whole different game. Yeah. And people are going to tune in because they are having fun, they're having a good time. And in the process, they happen to pick up stuff. It shouldn't be a punishment where it's like you have to go through these 22 painful steps and then you... That's not the way it works. And yeah, yeah. I mean, make it as uh, as entertaining and, and without being overly simplistic. I yeah, mean, without, exactly. Without uh, just 
turning everything to to a meme. Yeah. Uh, but rather, I mean, one of the f- shows that I've been recently going to, uh, attending, I mean, uh, is a, a show called Star Talk by mm-hmm. Neil deGrasse Tyson. And he brings like a comedian and he also brings a scientist. Yeah. And the conversation is fun. So yeah. like the scientist is talking and the comedian is making some jokes. So you're actually in- entertaining yourself. Yeah. And at the same, like, it's two hours, three hours of conversation. Uh, you can actually like, even though I'm not a big fan of podcasts, like I don't really listen that mm-hmm. much. Uh, to podcast, but the more the podcast, I see it like engaging and and fun and 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 uh, in which like after listening, after wasting three hours of my day, uh, I I would say like oh I've learned something and I'm also I'm happy about it. Right. I learned something that actually benefits me and also uh, hopefully I'll be reflected in my work and try to change the atmosphere. And in that sense, it kind of gives me hope sometimes because the fact that, like I was mentioning earlier, like the Dan Carlin kind of stuff, like a guy like Dan who does not make history simple and easy, he's not Disneyfying it, it's heavy. Sometimes he goes into this four hour podcast about super complicated things historically and he gets a million downloads. That's a sign that, you know, you would expect somebody who does that get, you know, yeah. 30 people somewhere who are absolute history nerd and know everything about yeah, it. Yeah. Instead, he has a huge audience and he's not watering it down. He's making it fun. Yeah, he's yeah. also going deep. And the fact that there actually is an audience for this is, I guess, the other side of the, oh my God, the average person is so damn it's painful. Well, not everybody is, you know, because there clearly is also a lot of people not tiny numbers, big numbers of people who do crave a little deeper layer of intellectual curiosity and knowledge. Yeah, and I, I think that, um, I mean, one of the quotes, favorite quotes of Adam Smith, uh, I mean, he said that you don't appeal to just people's charity, you appeal to their self-interest. Yeah, so so w- if, if you're trying to make informed uh, population, what is, while they don't realize that that is self-interest themselves, mm-hmm. but they think that being happy is a self-interest for them. Uh, then if you can make them happy and also insert the data yep. inside this uh, uh, thing that increases their dopamine, you probably c- would get uh, would get something back. Absolutely. No, that definitely does it. I want to ask you guys three specific ones. So since we're playing also on a more general philosophical level, lots of specific things that I'm sure you can help listeners who maybe know about it or vaguely. So one of the issues, since we brought it up earlier, regarding the creation of ISIS, you know, you hear all these myths about, uh, from picturing some Western politician in his, uh, you know, in his living room, creating ISIS and unleashing it onto the world to, you know, there are very simplistic versions of the story. What's, based on your understanding of uh, the whole dynamics behind it, what brought the creation of ISIS? What made it powerful? What makes it still powerful? Well, I mean, that, that probably would need a podcast by itself. But the so so I mean, the, what we now call ISIS is is that is that is the daughter of Al Qaeda of Iraq. Is is the daughter of AQI, um, and so it is an ideological group, obviously. Um, that is also existed and still exists as a result of so many vacuums uh, and uh, continuous bad politics that exist in the region and instability that exists in the region. 
and also around the world that because they're also recruiting people coming from Austria and France and Belgium and, 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 and Canada and so on. So the when you when you have so for example like to put a starting point uh, is Saddam after the Iraq Iran war uh, started what is called the faith campaign um, in 1991 after the first Gulf War in which he started advocating for Islamization of the Iraqi society and so on and, and he started building up an identity that is beyond the pan Arab nationalist identity it's more Islamic inspired, it's a war between good and evil, mm-hmm. uh, the, the the infidels and the believers and so on. And so, and, and Saddam Hussein was a Sunni, um, uh, with a Sunni identity. So Saddam Hussein fell down, uh, you have uh, a, a, a policy by the United States of depathification de- and, 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 considering that most of them were in power and now they are homeless and uh, not homeless, but, but powerless, mm-hmm. uh, that itself created a very big reaction. Um, so that, that led to creation of extreme uh, or resistance groups back then. And then add to that, the ideological narrative coming from Saudi Arabia and Qatar of, uh, of Wahhabism and Salafism and, 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 Add to that the rise of Shia power power nations because now it's no longer just Iran that is Shia led, but now it's it's uh, it's Iraq and and also Hezbollah with Lebanon. Mm-hmm. So that creates more fear among the Sunnis who are more afraid of Shia dominance. So you have yeah, so you have this element of civil war. You have the elements of. Uh, the vacuum that America created after the, the, the Iraq war in which, I mean, when you live in a dictatorship, as, as I did, uh, is that dictatorship is like a prison. So they control everything. And because they control everything, the moment you remove them, it's a complete chaos. Yeah. Because you don't have institutions of government. They are the institution of government. Yeah. It's one man rule yeah. in which if he says yes, it is yes. If he says no, it's no. So when you remove, so it's just like you have a prison and you remove the bodyguards. And now, whatever comes from a prison, maybe somebody in prison because he was innocent, and maybe somebody in prison because he was a rapist. And you would get everyone out of the prison. And so, America thought so much about the war, but not the post-war, not what happens when you remove dictatorships. So, that constantly led to bad decision after the other, bad decision after the other. Uh, Many Americans don't even know why America went to the war. And many American soldiers don't know why they went mm-hmm. to the war. Um, ha- there's hardly any defined characteristics of who are the good guys and the bad guys are. Sure. Uh, and who we should side with and who we should not. So this, like, it's like, it's like a toxic salad. It's like, imagine like a salad and cucumber and tomato. But all of that salad is just, all of it is, is uh, fragile and expired goods. Uh, so, so, so ISIS is the toxic salad. It's the result of continuous bad policies from the West, continuous bad policies from the East, and the Iraqis and the Syrians and the dictatorships in Syria and the dictatorship in Iraq, Iran and Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Um, all of these combined, and the feeling of, I mean, one of the things that I mean, I, I grew up with and is so kind of a mainstream belief that within the Muslim community and within Muslim culture, there is this concept that 
when we were a caliphate, and that goes back to the Ottomans sure. and before the Ottomans, these are the good times. These were mm-hmm. the good times of us. Yeah. And there is a feeling of, uh, it's a fetishization of what the caliphate used to be. Yeah. Um, so when I started talking about this concept of a caliphate and establishing caliphate and, and so on, this is attractive to so many amount of people because they're constantly being fed that all this concept of a nation state and the concept is just, we are no longer that much powerful. There was a time in which Muslims used to control almost one third of the planet, if not more. Uh, we occupied from half Spain into uh, reaching to us now called Indonesia to, uh, so we used to be that strong and now look at us right now. Right. And so there is this kind of like, let's make Islam a great again. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, or let's make the caliphate a great right. again yeah. uh, uh, mantra that is appealing to yeah. a significant amount of Muslims in which you, you look at the world and you see the old countries that are really powerful in the world are non-Islamic. Yeah. It's China, it's Russia, it's the United States. And you have Europe with Great Britain and so on. None of these countries are Islamic. None of these countries are anyway dependent on what is provided by the Islamic world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you live in Saudi and you live in Qatar and so on. Even though if you are rich, nothing is actually you are using is actually produced by you or yeah. your people. The, the iPhone you use is created by America. Sure. The car you use is created by Germany. Nothing you actually... You feel you have nothing to contribute to the world. And, mm-hmm. and that's feeling of... of even with good economic situation, even when somebody actually has a good life and makes good money, it just doesn't feel fulfilling. Yeah. And and what ISIS is trying to provide and some what other groups also with the Muslim Brotherhood and, and Islamist organizations always try to provide is to provide them with this sense of goal uh, and also leave aside having the religion attached to it. That definitely helps because you're now, the goal is not just materialistic. You're mm-hmm. talking about defending God yeah. from the enemies of God and right. against the enemies of God and and getting heaven. And obviously the concept of heaven changes kind of most of the equation Perfect. because now you're no longer thinking of just, uh, I'm, I'm going to occupy this land because I'm going to steal the resources and be rich. No, it's now becoming, I am, uh, I am killing the infidels because killing the infidels will let me go to heaven. So it's, it's, uh, so back to the conversation of ISIS is a, is a, the layer layer is is ideology, grievance, and just continuous bad politics of foreign policies around the world. That makes perfect sense. Absolutely. Speaking of Iraqi history, uh, the actual the second war, the two thousand three war, the you know the official reason was the weapons of mass destruction that of course were proven not there and not you know all the the basic justification for the war then fell on its face once discoveries were made so what is your feeling that what was why did it take place because i mean one has to assume that either there was a monstrous level of huge mistakes being made along the way and it was an honest mistake that's monstrous in its stupidity but it was just a mistake or that that was just a cover for something else and there were other reasons for starting the war what's your take regarding why did the war actually take place well i mean i i think that um obviously i don't have a phd in psychoanalysis so i'm not going to claim what i know inside dick cheney or, sure. or george w bush or um 
I think that there is a feeling that the United States did not finish the job after the first Gulf War, mm-hmm. uh, in which the Bush Jr. wants to finish the action of his father, because after the Kuwait War, there were talk about that we should get rid of Saddam since yeah. then, and that thing has been delayed. Um, so Bush says he wants to finish the mission. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to the weapons of mass destruction, I mean, that is a belief that was common by most of the intelligence sources in the United States and also the United Kingdom. And mm-hmm. so considering that you live in a very dictatorial regime, mm-hmm. you don't know if that, you cannot verify sure. things uh, very quickly. So um, I also think that it is multi-layered. I, I, I think that considering the administration, even like now, uh, like after they wrote books like Don Rumsfeld and all of the others, they seem themselves have different reasons why they went to Iraq. Right. Uh, so there was there was no uh, like you know, like uh, unanimous concept of what actually why we went to Iraq. I mean, there is the neoconservative movement who think that uh, Iraq should be become the the center, which is because it's the center of the Middle East. It can become the beacon of liberalism and, and Jeffersonian democracy, what they call it, in the region and try to reflect it on the rest of the region. And and there is the, the concept that says, uh, uh, because Saddam Hussein, and after the faith campaign, he started becoming a sponsor of terrorism, in which he gave money to the families of suicide bombers in Palestine, and he was following that rhetoric of jihad against the yeah. West, so he became more than just... Uh, like a fifth columnist, he became more of a figure that is followed by majority of Arabs and Muslims as the leader of the Arabs and Muslims. So if we take him down, that's like a destruction of what they think of the leader. Um, so, I mean, when it comes to like good intentions versus bad intentions, I mean, the, the, I, can, I, I could be wrong, and, and, but I don't think that George W. Bush intention was to see Iraq as it is right now. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I don't think... I, I, I don't think I don't think that, he, like, he intentionally wants to... Like, probably, a, like, what Bush probably wants to create is something like Dallas, in which you have a, a Burger King and a Starbucks and a country right. that is Western-friendly uh, and... Uh, and, I mean, he actually... I mean, George W. Bush actually believes that every human has some sort of feeling that they want to be free. And like freedom and democracy and all of these things are just natural human traits that people just look for them uh, regardless. And that's something I fundamentally disagree with. I think that ideology Mm -hmm. uh, changes everything in terms of what you actually look for. So I... um, I think, yeah, so the reasons are multiple of why the U.S. invaded. I think that when it comes to weapons of mass destruction, I mean, it's something that has been widely believed by, even with the former administration with Bill Clinton. I mean, he's the one who signed the Iraq Liberation Act in yeah. 1999, uh, in which, I mean, Al Gore, for example, was advocating for the idea of weapons of mass destruction. Uh, I mean, you can watch C-SPAN videos yeah. uh, in which, like, Hillary and Al Gore, it was like the Democratic yeah. Uh, DNC, like they used to believe that that is the case in sure. which Saddam has weapons of destruction, he's gonna 
uh, attack and, and, and we don't want him to become another North Korea in which he becomes untouchable. So let's get rid of him before he yeah. becomes untouchable. And also the fact that because also Saddam used chemical weapons against his people oh, yeah. sure. with the Kurds and I think in the Iraq-Iran war, it is, it is not crazy to think that the guy wants so to have sure, weapons sure. of mass destruction. Even though that's a bit of a hypothesis you're making. It's just because somebody used chemical weapons, yeah. therefore they want to acquire them in the future. But it or is not even want to have the capability to or have the capability to. So, so even though it's a hypothesis, but it is not that far like sure. it's not like that far stretch in which you just imagining and being paranoid. Like, sure. there's a guy who actually used it against his own people, sure, sure, sure. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, I think the biggest issue was not just the war, it's just how the United States handled the war mm-hmm. and, and the lack of knowledge in terms of. Uh, like I, I've met with soldiers uh, who are now veterans who actually expected that the Iraqis would just welcome the Americans with the flowers and right. uh, and that is half truth by the way. I mean in Kurdistan, if you ask the people, oh, in yeah. the, they are much more thankful for the Iraq War. Of course. Um, so you you see a m- probably more positive ratings in Kurdistan for the Iraq War than in America. Of course. They will tell you like Saddam used chemical weapons against us. We are now in a much better shape. Probably among all the yeah. things that could happen, that um, the worst. Yeah, and they they seem to be much more they more loving of the United States after the war than yeah. before the war. Of course. Um, and also, probably if you have some Shias in Iraq who were affected by continuous uh, 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 killing of Saddam, they probably would have a a more positive view of the war, considering that some of them now in power and they yeah. benefit from. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a very uh, complicated subject, but but I think that. When it comes to uh, intentions, I, I don't think the intention of the administration was to make it was to make Iraq as it is right now. Right. But things just go out of hand and bad administration with bad politics and bad knowledge of how things are, yeah. and and also the rise of regional powers that actually, uh, believe it or not, have more influence than on Iraq than America does because they're closer culturally. Uh, they have a, a, a clo- like Saudi Arabia has more in common with Sunni population of Iraq and Qatar has more in common with the Sunni population of Iraq than the Americans do because they speak the same language they share similar heritage the Iranians with the Shias and so on so obviously they have bigger influence culturally as well as economically with Iraq than than the Americans and the Western like somebody who's a high school graduate from Virginia like it's 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 sure. uh, so that's why there's all this concept of like. Communication is very difficult between the, the, the like Iraq and the United States. You need the translators. It's a different culture. It's not like, uh, for example, Germany invasion of Germany versus because Germany, yes, they they used to believe in the Nazi ideology, but they are much closer culturally to the West. They're still a Western country. Of course. Uh, even like you see with the Balkans, they're also closer to the West in terms of location, uh, then, then Iraq is closer to the West, and then the countries around them are different. So, so there are all these dynamics that change um, how things are generally in the war. Definitely. Last one on the modern issues to ask you about. We were talking before we started recording about the um, ban on the burqa swimming suits in France, and now on the one hand, you are clearly very very anti-radical Islam but at the same time you are not exactly fond of this type of legislation either so what's your take on this yeah I mean I think that I, I'm I'm against the ban uh, and I've been very public about it and 
and the, the, the reason is that I think that uh, the, also the most pe people affected by this are the women who are no longer be able to go to the beach anymore because they come from conservative families and they may be beaten to death by their family for not going to to uh, so 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 even though the intention could be liberating sure. the woman is actually when vice versa it actually harming the woman and also and that being said I still I still think that the concept of modesty culture that exists within the archaic uh, religions the Abrahamic religions that tells that women are the ones who should cover up because men would just lose their yeah. heads if they just see a woman's hair this is a very bad idea mm -hmm. and so we can, I can I can be against the ban and at the same time against the the reason why the burkini even exists or the hijab even exists in which the concept that says and i've been on so many debates on this subject so like the, the premise of it and that, that's what i've understood from the majority at least within muslim americans or western uh, americans in which they say i want to be judged by what's in my head not over my head or something sure. like this it, this sounds like a very cool quote but if you think about it, it's also very sexist. But because what it's saying is that men will only think of a woman as boobs and vagina, mm -hmm. versus and not even listen to anything they say or respect anything they say just because they can show their hair. Right. This is a very bad yeah. uh, and it's sexist to both men and women because it's saying that men cannot just respect women yeah. just because they show their hair, and that's. So even with this like fetishization and this like uh, uh, burkini is empowerment or hijab right. is empowerment and so on, I don't really see it as empowerment. Yeah, I see it as more of of subjugation, and it can, and that also can be self subjugation. I mean, I acknowledge that people, some people made the choice so of to want to, right? uh, uh, to, to want to, but it's it's I think it's really coming from a bad idea. It's, it's coming from a concept that men cannot control themselves and women will not be and their worth depends on whether they cover their hair or they cover their and at the same time i can be against banning right exactly because you sound like you're making the argument for the ban because you're saying this stuff is backward is messed mm -hmm. up but at the same time you're not so yeah so that, that's what it, it means to live in a civil civil society or, or civilized society in which you don't ban things. Exactly. You you argue. You 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 make up your case, and you live in a civil society, and you try to persuade people within right. a civil way in universities or in in, in venues and so on, um, and uh, just like any other thing you disagree with. I mean, I even though I'm I'm smoker myself, I know that smoking is bad, and, and I'm also against banning smoking. I, I'm for making it uncool. I'm for right. for making having a stamp on the pack that tells you. Actually, smoking causing cancers, and there are studies that made on yeah. this. Uh, but at the same time, and also I think that when it comes to banning things, the more you ban, the more it kind of gives power to the things you ban. Like even within Iraq, as, as I was growing up, the moment you say you cannot do this, watch this movie, this movie is going to be watched the most. Of course, of course. And now also it becomes an act of resistance yeah. against authority. Yeah. So when you ban anything, whether like it's it becomes an act of resistance that for example like within europe uh i think what daniel did it made this hypothesis is that because the uk for example have a marriage between church and government mm -hmm. uh even though they're more secular right now it became an act of resistance to become an atheist or to become because now 
you are anti-church right. and the church is the government yeah. and so now atheism became sort of like a reflection or sort of resistance movement against the authority that exists there and if you played it vice versa within the Soviet Union Christianity and religion or expression of religion became like the resistance against the authority that exists there of so course. the more you ban things that actually you are empowering the, 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 the bad ideas that could be the, the, and these bad right. ideas became some sort of like resistance glorifying uh, uh, movements against uh, authoritarianism so uh, I mean that's so I, I try to maintain the, the no, two that, positions together that make perfect sense because I mean that is exactly the simplistic thinking is if I don't like something or even I believe there's evidence that something is bad if I ban it it's a solution whereas it creates the opposite problem if yeah. you strengthen the stuff that you are precisely because it's bad you don't want to fight it that way because that's not the right strategy to deal with it yeah just like we deal with bad speech it's more good right. speech exactly. uh, I mean I'm, I'm not even within Europe, I'm not for banning Holocaust denial, mm -hmm. even though I acknowledge the Holocaust. But banning Holocaust denial or banning any yeah. any story would just make the people who are denying these stories are martyrs for free speech and martyrs for... Exactly. While, in fact, if you just let them speak and then you confront them and you ask them questions and you find the loopholes in their arguments, you destroy their argument and you can win the popular support. Exactly. That's the worst when you get like some absolute fascists who suddenly are the martyrs for free speech. Yeah. You have created a horrible situation. You have created a horrible like, situation for... Let them speak. Let their own stupidity show up for its merits, not because you prevent them from speaking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that's the way I deal with almost all bad ideas. Yep, I think that makes perfect sense. Now, I know you have 3,000 appointments today, so I'll let you go to them. But the, um, anything you want to, like, some of the stuff you're working on, anything you want to let people know or places where to check out some of your stuff? Yeah, of course. I mean, the organization I mentioned is Movements. It's M-O-V-E-M-E-N-T-S dot org, which we try to assist. So people, if they have skills... They want to contribute, they're editors, they're graphic designers and so on, uh, or any form of skill, or they want to donate, they can go there. And they can also check out my website. I'm hopefully starting a new show called The Gray Zone, mm -hmm. in which we talk about mostly Middle Eastern affairs in a more, less of black and white, looking at every, so I'm, I'm going to talk to historians and, and, and people who can dissect all of these elements. So uh, they, all of the updates going to be on my website, which is, F A I S A L S A L Motor dot com. That's FaisalMotor dot com, and also they can follow me on social media, Perfect. which I post about this thing constantly. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Of course, of course. Thank you for having me. How time flies and the episodes just go slipping past. Here we are at the end of yet another one. Time to thank the wonderful folks that make this all possible. Let's start with the lovely people who part with their money for just the sweetness of sending us something, which is always appreciated. Think of that concept. For all this hard work and all this love over all these years, the tiny amount of people that you're going to hear a list of. I challenge you all to the dime challenge. 
Drop us a dime. <laughs> dime? I don't think they even let you on PayPal. You they don't even do dimes? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> Elon Musk doesn't allow dimes. I, I don't know. Maybe they do. I don't know. I haven't checked. Or a dime bag. But let's screw up their names. Maybe, you know, maybe if I start pronouncing names correctly, it will be more popular. But let's start with these lovely folks. Oh, no, no mess with success. These folks seem to be coming back. Yes. So let's go for it. <laughs> Let the pottering begin. David Peterson, Lynn Shirley, Robert Primos, Chris Treshbal, Maurizio Mezzatesta, Jonathan Waterloo, David Peterson, uh, David Peterson twice, I guess, I just noticed, uh, Stephen McKee, Anor McLaughlin, and Alexander Kuzner. A lot of familiar names, as always, and thank you so very much, all of you. I mean, it's so kind. You guys are sweet people. Uh, you are in the mood to drop us an iTunes review, that's always appreciated, and some 700 of you have done it, which is very sweet. Yeah. Um, what else? Couple of quick shout outs. Well, I completely fucked up last time when uh, I, we played that song. I just mentioned him by first name, which is not the best way to publicize something. Austin had given us some. Thanks, Fred, for that yeah, great exactly. song. Be he sure to check some... out Fred on the internet. You'll find him there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was, With Fred Music. It was a beautiful <laughs> blues, for sure. And his band name is Heat Dog Holler. Or maybe you can pronounce it in English. Well, if you're every hit dog holler. That's, that's how it's done. Not far from Swampy Holler, where my mother almost bought a fucking condo two weeks before the monsoon. Oh, good Guess time, what really. was underwater? I, I'm going to go on a wildly guess. Swamp and, Holler. Yes, I would imagine. Be careful out there, folks. Yes. So thank you to those guys. They were awesome. And yeah, if you want to check them out, they have a ton more of their music out there. Uh, I'll put a link, maybe in the notes to the episode, I'll, put, I'll write down their names so you don't have to guess our spelling. But you also have, oh, speaking of nice people, uh, a lovely man operating Musashi Designs. So again, it's Musashi as in Miyamoto Musashi, the samurai. So last name, Musashi, and then Designs as the plural of design. Uh, he's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram with the same thing. And um, very nice person. He sent me skateboard a badass sitting bull t-shirt nice. so check it out very loyal drunken ties listener who's also a very nice person which is a very rare combination because all our <laughs> listeners are no, i'm just playing we love you no, you're we not love playing you. too much the numbers don't lie people you <laughs> know what's funny when uh when when, when wikipedia has their campaign it's mm-hmm. like hey would you throw us five dollars because what I, what we do is pretty cool uh i do it and I never think everybody should. You know, these online presences no, I, are awesome things. And when, when Dan Collin wants a dollar for his episode, every couple of times I do it. You, you want to thank folks. So it's all right um, to donate. It's, you're, not, you're, you're not caving. You're helping some nice fellas do an even better job for you. Yeah, that's always. I think really the big deal, we were talking about it before we started recording, it's that beating the inertia to actually get there, pull out your credit card, or what's my PayPal account again, and find it and open it and log in and send the thing. I think that's the main thing that just rub people the wrong way. The garbage I have managed to get myself to my PayPal account to get because I got to have yeah, yeah, that yeah. Uh, LBJ t-shirt to wear to the protest next week. You know, right. Come on, you can make it. I believe in you. You can Reach do it. Reach deep into your pockets, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. The time has come. Los Angeles is calling out to you to help us spread this message far and wide. And that message is, as we just learned, and we'll talk about in a minute on next week's, 
what's wrong with compassion? Why is that thought of as a, a, a weird state? That's crazy, everybody. We shall play with that. That must next. be fixed. Dan Carlin just told me that. And I'm going to send him a dollar for telling me. So, Other <laughs> podcaster. Um, our pal Kristap Andrejsons. I have no idea how you say That's it. Kristap nice, sounds like your first name. Andrejsons. I have no idea how you pronounce it. Healing out of Latvia. With the uh, Hiran's The Eastern Border Podcast, which if you want to check it out. <laughs> what a great name! <laughs> isn't it? And uh, he sent us a link to uh, a friend of his uh, is uh, running into hard times, losing his eyesight. So they, they started creating a charity for not for himself. It's kind of like a general thing for people who are either heavily sight impaired or going blind or things like that. So I will put a link to that in the episode notes if you guys want to check it out. Speaking of folks that do give at Dig Deep and are awesome, the 197 members of our Kiva Club, 60 grand, man, in three years they have given. That's crazy. That's super sweet. And the funny part is once you generate that 60 grand, it just keeps rolling and rolling. Yep. I'm, I am at a point right now where every month or so I collect $25 back from the groups that I've given out. And you just throw it out again. Yep. Just throw it out. And it's like fishing almost, but it's reverse fishing. You're not taking. You're giving to somebody. Some cat was able to afford a, a herd of 80 goats in Venezuela. Thanks because to of money Mr. that people put together. That's well, good. it takes, a, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of people putting it into one pot. Yeah, yeah. But it comes back quick, especially now that it's up and rolling. But your fellow listeners have given more money this year, not even, you know, three quarters over, than any previous year. I think with the 80 goats, you have single handedly doubled the GDP of Venezuela. So I think it that can't was hurt a, at all. Yeah, that was an excellent thing. And the, and the payback is amazing too. 98 plus percent. I guarantee you GMC is not getting that on their auto. No, that's pretty damn good. Anyway, this message was brought to you by Kiva.org. Please come join us because it's an awesome thing. And it's helping some folks out instead of swiping from somebody. A last notion real quick. People always seem to be trying to get over it. If I could get $10 off that guy or I'm going to swipe this. That's, that's, I don't think most people want to be that way. I just think circumstances demand it. And it is hard times. And if you can get over on somebody a little bit and it's really not going to hurt them, or even if it is going to hurt them, you take the swipe at it. And that's... I don't think it has to be that way. Once again, that programming, it's just kind of going to become that way. I do because, you know, me and mine, and I can't blame you for that, but that's dark times. Dark times indeed. More to our gig. Um, thank you to our affiliates specifically Curacao Chocolate. If you're in the mood for chocolate, check out the episode notes to check them out. And most definitely, thank you to our sponsors. Datsusara, check them out. Well, I, I don't even tell you the website because you might as well check it out in the episode notes where you also have the discount codes available to Drunken Taoist listeners. And so, the donate button. Yeah, Datsusara, Onnit, and Shore Design. You guys know the drill because these guys have been with us for so long and we deeply, deeply appreciate that they keep sticking by us against all business logic. We thank you so very, very much. Please reward them by at least, you know, if nothing else, check out their website. See if anything, uh, if, if they have anything that you could use. I'm not telling you to buy stuff that you don't use. Definitely not. But uh, if it's stuff that you can use, then might as well buy it from some nice folks. Well, and it's, you know, it's getting deep into the fall. And since the Halloween costumes will be out in two minutes, a month and a half early, you can't go wrong. 
buying a little Christmas present for somebody. Get it done now. Get it out of the way. And these are great places to do it. There's something for everybody. Indeed. Especially those Dr. Sarah bags. That fanny pack, I'm telling you, I know a couple <laughs> people that have that and they swear by it. I do, I do. I indeed do. The, our Amazon link, if you can use that when you shop on Amazon, we would be deeply thankful. And of course, you guys know the drill. All, we have a ton of different style of t-shirts, thanks to the wonderful Savannah M. We have uh, the Taoist Lecture Series, if you want to check it out. Seven hour plus of material for under 10 bucks. Uh, my book, not a, my book is kind of funny, like the one that I published in December, Not Afraid. Every person who reads it digs it, but the number of people who read it don't seem exactly in the millions. It's going well in terms of feedback. I'm not so sure. I haven't gotten a report yet, but I will see. The feeling I get is that it's not exactly um, a huge bestseller, but hey, you know, at least the people who actually do read it seems to really like it. There is a version of it on um, that I have on my website, and the audio version if you prefer to listen to it rather than read it. So that's always an option. It's your voice. Yeah, it's my voice. Which, oddly enough, when I read it, it was also your voice. Yeah, exactly. Which made it fun anyway. like, th- then there's a reason to actually have an Italian voice stuck in your head. Oh, forever. Uh, thank you to Daisy House for the music. And I think we're going long with this outro. So let's cut it here. <laughs> And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. Maybe I don't want to hear this. No, you don't. <laughs> in questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Eh? Oh man, isn't that scary the thing? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. <laughs> this was great. It's fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's so. Let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me. Can you about, translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work.